y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, episode 261, I have the privilege of connecting you with Latasha Morrison, better known as Tasha. What we do with Be The Bridge is we give people that next thing to do. This is what you do with this, you know? And so, you know, it starts with their awareness and then acknowledging the pain and the brokenness. We didn't create it, but it is all of our responsibilities to be a part of the solution. And so no one gets an out here. Tasha started Be The Bridge organization back in 2000. 16. Her goal was to bring groups of people together, diverse groups, so they could have conversations in small groups about real issues related to race and injustice. And she would guide them and it would be these brave spaces to listen, learn, lament and leverage privilege so that we could all live out this ministry of reconciliation that God has called us to. I was reading in John 17 today, Jesus is with his disciples. He's just given them several commands and thoughts. And now he's praying to his father and he's pleading with his father to make them one. And the reason behind it is for them to be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That it is a testimony to a watching world when we do the work of becoming one as the father and the son were enmeshed and one. And that is worth it. The uncomfortableness, the looking back, the making things right, it is all part of Jesus's ministry for us to come along with him and the work that he's doing. Tasha does a great job talking through the difference between social justice and biblical justice. We recorded this in Tasha's home. So she's just living out what she's talking about, uh, sitting around a table, having good, hard conversations. Before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to the people who helped make this show possible. Phonics Museum. Parents of kids ages three to seven, I have a great resource for you. It is the Phonics Museum app where children learn how to read in record speed. It is based on award-winning phonics reading curriculum from Veritas Press. They are a classical education curriculum company. And your kids are going to find that it's really engaging because it combines so many different multi-sensory approaches to learning to read. There's over 900 games, videos, interactions that they work through, and you can try it out for free. Just go over to your iOS app store, download it, and after that two-week trial, it'll start your membership automatically. There's two subscription options, a monthly membership that you can cancel at any time. It's up to three children per account or an annual membership. So go check it out two weeks for free at your iOS app store. It's the Phonics Museum app. All right, let's get to my chat with Tasha. Here we go. Tasha. Hello. Oh, man. <laughs> Y'all are in for a treat. How you doing? I'm great. And I am going to start off by telling everyone about your role in my life. Okay. Okay. We had this shared experience. Okay. We both went down to Oaxaca. Yes. And they've all heard me talk to Tess about okay. that trip. Okay, great. What they don't know is that trip wouldn't have been all that it was. And the layer of awakening, I feel mm. like. Mm. What do they say? Awoke? No, woke. that's good. Awakening. I, I love the awakening. Awakening, because it's mm-hmm. still coming. There are so yeah. many more layers. I love it. Becoming. 
<laughs> but you took what you know in the work that you do with racial reconciliation mm-hmm. and brought words to our experience and the dissonance we were experiencing with hearing stories of people from Latin America and what they're fleeing mm-hmm. and just tragedy right? and f- this feeling of dissonance, mm. you know, and you right. kind of, one day when I was just crying, mm-hmm. you know, you gave me words to what to do with that. And so I'm just thankful for you. Aww. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm, I'm so thankful glad. for you from my personal experience, mm. but I'm really thankful that you're taking your work and your and now in a book people can buy. I know. Can you believe it? Congrats. I mean, I, I posted something today and I was like, a lot of people have a dream like, oh, I'm going to write a book one day. That wasn't my dream. <laughs> and so to see this entire book <laughs> right about it's now, good. you know, that it's like, wow, only God can do that. And he, how he made you, we were just talking about mm-hmm. how he made you specifically. And the voice he gave you and just the warmth he gave you. Not that other people can't be in this conversation, too. Right, right. But he's uniquely wired you. Yeah. And I believe that. Like, I've always been involved in this work, you know. um, But it was more or less to my talking about it with other African Americans, you know. Mm -hmm. I've been, um, when I was in corporate America, it was kind of like, okay, why are they focused on diversity and inclusion and all these different things in the churches. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. working at like leadership work in the church, but I was on, I was still at a, a fortune 500 company. And I saw these initiatives and trainings we had to have. I'm like, wow, why isn't this same approach in the, and, you know, in the church? And it really, uh, it grieved me then, but it wasn't, didn't grieve me to the point where I would do anything about it. It was just kind of like, it was like your awareness of yeah, yeah it was just kind of aware of it you know mm-hmm. and so I think you know just even with some of that um, that has laid the foundation to this work so you had that experience you saw corporate America different yeah. from the church and you moved to Atlanta but where did or not to Atlanta Austin where did you grow up I grew up originally in North Carolina you can hear it in my um, tone I my like dialect it. I have a you know I don't say North Say North, no. North, North Carolina. <laughs> North Carolina. So, yeah. what was that community like? I grew up in a military town, so okay. it was very diverse. Okay. Fort Bragg, North Carolina. My father was in the military, and so was my grandfather, and so that's how we ended up in the Fayetteville area. But my family, historically, and my ancestral lineage um, goes through has deep roots in North Carolina, and so I've done a lot of research on ancestry, DNA, and all those things. And so I am a North Carolina girl, but I left there right after college and moved to Atlanta. And I was in Atlanta for several years and on uh, worked in corporate, was on staff at two churches here. Then I moved to Austin, Texas, and I was in Austin, Texas for five years. And I know some people listening probably thinking to themselves, I thought she was still in Austin. People still think I'm in Austin. <laughs> but I've been actually back um, after I went off staff and to really focus on Be the Bridge more. I moved back to Atlanta. When you think of Atlanta, I mean, it's the home of the civil rights movement, you know, and just my family is on the East Coast and all of that. So I moved back in 2017, mm-hmm. in, at the end of 2017. So, yeah. And it sounded like from a little bit I read uh-huh. that Austin, I've been there. It's not as... Um, I feel like Atlanta 
the diversity is a little yeah. more present. Yeah. And I don't, I know the word segregated is loaded. Yes. No, you're but right. But I feel like Dallas yeah. inherently has segregation. Yeah. Every city know. is. Every because city is. Every okay. city it was is geographically and environmentally segregated. Like, you know, racially segregated. Chicago, because yes. yes, because that's how doing segregation Jim Crow, we designed our cities that way. So in Austin, Highway 35 that goes through the city, um, I think it was the blacks, the Latinx people, and the Swedish were on one side, on the east side, and then everyone else was on the other side. And they instituted that system during the Reconstruction um, because before Austin was very integrated, um, but they wanted to segregate like other cities. So you, it was illegal to live on other sides. So you, could, if you were going to live, you had to move to that side. And so um, that was a part of the red line and the maps that we draw that we still use today. That was what um, how you if you went to get a loan in a bank, those were the things where it decided like what type of value your house was going to get. You know what I'm saying? So when we start talking about systemic injustice, you know, when we start yeah. talking about systemic racism, those are the things we're talking about. Like a lot of people, yeah. a lot of times people focus on individualistic um, racism, but we're talking about systems that we created yeah. that we have not deconstructed. They're in play today, Yeah, you know? And so Austin, you know, was separated but Atlanta is also, it's more diverse yeah. and it has a segregation. It has its issues too. But with Austin is different. <laughs> it's kind of like, I, it was the first time, although I grew up in diverse environments, in Atlanta, even if I went to an all black church at one point and then I went to an all predominantly white church. Um, but my friends were always integrated. So I was in a small group with predominantly white people in Atlanta but my other friendship circle were people of color. So it was like this thing yeah. where when some things happened, some national news that would happen, especially like with um, Trayvon Martin, different things. Like I never even talked about it with um, my small group of white friends that I was with, you know, but I talked about it here. But when I moved to Austin, I didn't have that because Austin, a population of African-Americans is one of, I think one of the highest decrease in populations, a growing city, but with one of the largest decrease in um, populations of African-Americans. But a lot of them, because of what's happening in the city, they're moving to the outskirts or moving to Dallas or Houston and mm -hmm. different places like that. And so it's like 7%. <laughs> and so I would go a whole week and not see people of color, you know, um, it would just be interesting. And so I think so I was more aware and just culturally uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have the same friendship circles anymore. So things were magnified yeah. where before I would have had this friendship circle to dialogue with and to process stuff with. But in Austin, I didn't have that. And it's not to say my white friends at my church weren't interested. It was just like they didn't understand. And, and so maybe I would, a little too interested. Right. Like you became their go-to. Yes, exactly. And and then I would have to give so much context that it would be draining, you know. And so that was some of it. But, you know, Austin was, the I think, when the discontent came and where I think the light bulb went off. Like, you know what? Um we're going to have to fix this. <laughs> like, we're going to have to talk about this. We're going to have some real, it real conversations. It important part of your story. It was. You, it is. You have to get to rock bottom, I would say. Yeah, or yeah. like a recognition, or another awakening, to use that word again. Yeah. To take action. Yeah. 
to take action. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody has to do something. Yes. And my thing started with, and this is the thing when people are looking at this work and this work of reconciliation, reconciliation, it starts with you. It starts with your personal life. And so you cannot lead where you're not willing to go. And so if I was going to have these conversations, it started with my friends having different ones. Then I was conducting some conversations through Google Hangout about movies and different things like that. And then it really started, I had went to see a movie and invited some other friends along and they invited some people and we had a conversation um, after the movie. And let me tell you, I was talking to one of the ladies. She met one of the African-American ladies at that conversation. And she, I just spoke to her probably a, about a month ago and she said, oh yeah, you remember the lady that and her husband that was there? They're like my best friends now. They're best friends, and she now is over a lot of the, um, what you would say, dealing with cultural competency, implicit bias training, anti-racism training for the school district of Austin. And so it's just amazing just to see what's happening when you're obedient and how that's attached to other people. And I think back, like, what if I was too afraid to step out and at least just start having conversations? Let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about some history. Let's give some real context about things that happened. Um, If I was too afraid to do that, then, you know, there's so many people that are attached to me that I wouldn't know now or they would be in different, a different mind space right now. So I'm guessing I'm making an assumption (laughs) about the person listening. Okay. Okay. Let's say, because I have hopefully <laughs> both women of color uh-huh. and white women. Uh-huh. And the white women may think, well, I want to do the work. Mm-hmm. I want the reconciliation work mm-hmm. to start with me, mm-hmm. but I don't know what to do next. Right. Or my eyes are open when the news was, you know, full and people were talking mm-hmm. about police brutality. And I felt bad. Mm-hmm. Like I had that emotion of mm-hmm. sadness or guilt or whatever emotions mm-hmm. they felt. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. How do yeah. you guide her to next so it doesn't just stay internal right. with this desire? Kind of like when I felt pity mm-hmm. at the center mm-hmm. and I was crying and you said, right. that doesn't do them any good. Right. Don't <laughs> cry. Brother. I'm like, don't yeah, cry. Man. I'm sad. <laughs> what? Tasha, you just blew up my whole world. I'm not allowed to cry. Yeah, it's just like because sometimes, you know, and we have to understand how this, how things work. And sometimes, like, the crying is the sadness, but it makes it about you versus yes. about them. And so that's that's the key thing. And just, you know, we've been doing this work long enough where it's just helping, like, okay. What we do with Be The Bridge is we give people that next thing to do. This is what you do with this, you know. And so, you know, it starts with their awareness and then acknowledging the pain and the brokenness. Um, you know, we didn't create it, but it is all of our responsibilities to be a part of the solution. And so no one gets it out here. You know what I'm saying? And so we didn't cause it. You may say, well, I didn't do this. I didn't have slaves. I didn't, you know, all of these things. But people have benefited from yeah those injustices, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if we look throughout historical context, you know, people have benefited from those injustices. So I think a part of that now is what we don't do well, especially like um, having been a part of 
you know, four predominantly white churches. I've been a part of more white churches than African-American churches, you wow. know. Yeah. And so having been a part of that, one of the things that I noticed is that in the African-American church experience, there's a, a, a theology to understand lament and sorrow and mourning, mm. you know. Mm. And, that, and that's an expression of who God is. We have a whole book in the Bible on limitations, you know. Yeah. When we look at the Psalms, like half of the Psalms are like, I mean, David crying right. out, yeah. you know, mourning, weeping, um, sorrow. So we know that. But somehow our theology has weave that out where it's like, you know, we've been man do it for the night, but joy come in the morning. You know, like, <laughs> you, know, move on you know, we want to move on, to fix it. We yeah. want to jump to the answers. Yeah. But sometimes we need to sit in it long enough to completely understand what's broken. Sometimes we're trying to fix something before we really even understand what's broken. And so we do more harm than good. And we can look at missions work historically. You know, there's a lot of some good things have happened, but a lot of damaging things that have happened throughout history, you know, we go where we, yes. And with our ideas. And with our ideas, with our culture, and think like, we're going to fix you, or we're going to change you, or I'm going to make you like me, because this is the way God intended, you know, not understanding that every ethnicity, every culture is an expression of who God is, and not one ethnicity can represent the totality of who God is. We serve a diverse God, you know? And if we're thinking that God looks just like you (laughs) and talks just like you, you know, Jesus didn't speak English. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, (laughs) sometimes we need a reality check on that thing that just because something is different doesn't make it wrong. And sometimes what we do is we feel like our way is right. And so that's a supremacy mindset. And any supremacy outside of God's supremacy is idolatry. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that we have to understand. And so when, we, when we're when we looking at, okay, what do I do? Sometimes you need to take pause and sit in the lament and pray. Mm-hmm. Because why are we doing stuff before we pray about it? It's like we're so such a do culture and, and we want to come up with a process, you know, yeah. for this or a new trend for this and that, you know. But sometimes we need to sit in it and understand and say, God, what would you have me to do, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes that sitting and lamenting, it doesn't mean that you're not doing anything. It's like you're lamenting the loss, the sorrow. And a lot of times our lament causes God to move. You know, you think about how David lamented, you know, he lamented his son and his daughter. He lamented about his, you know, him having an affair and um, having this baby and this baby was going to die and just all those different things you can think about. Like it was to move God. And then it was at a point where it was like, okay, now I know what I need to do. Hmm. It's like the answer, the next step came through the lamenting. And so it's just like that thing is like the scripture shows us the way. Like it gives us guidance. But somehow when it comes to racial history, we start forgetting because of how we've been conditioned. And so we have to kind of uncondition ourselves from our racialized society, the racial caste system that we live in, and really look to scripture and get insight and understanding that even scripture was writ- written in a different culture. 
The context, yeah. Yeah. So it's not that it was wrong that I cried. It wasn't that, yeah. The question is, are you just crying for you? Right. Are you lamenting the injustice? Right. Are you pleading to yes. God to intervene yes. and relying on him exactly. humbly? Humbly. Exactly. Not, I'm going to come in as the Savior. Because exactly. that's what I had to reconcile, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, I want to put her on a yes. bus. Yes. Take her yes. back to America. Yes. Break all the laws. Exactly. Get arrested. Exactly. That's not the answer. And I understand that feeling. And But the great thing is at least you were able to empathize because some people have the inability to empathize, mm. you know, because of their their views, their ideology. And so the great thing is, yes, you were able to empathize. Now, what do I do that's going to bring about making it right? And that's what justice is. Justice is about reordering. Yes. You know, it's about Let's talk about that because right. uh, what's yeah. the difference between a social justice yes. and biblical justice? Right, right. And what you all are about is right. biblical justice right, right, right. and right. as it applies to right. race. And so, so biblical justice, like? when we talk about um, the gospel, the good news, you know, is making sure that all may flourish. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about that, like, that's going to impact us socially. That's going to be environmentally, um, religiously. You know, you see, all of that is a so. You know, we think about, you know, when we talk about we stand for, for life and we talk about the sanctity of life when we're talking about unborn children, that's social justice. When we talk about poverty, that's social justice, <laughs> you know. When we and see, biblical. And biblical. It's exactly. Both. It's very, it's it's like one of those things. It's not either or, it's both and. Yeah. You know? It's how it's, biblical justice applies to exactly, our social system. Exactly. And how and we how socially we, interact. Exactly. And everyone's flourishing. Exactly. We want babies we, to live. We exactly. want people to not have to strive and strive and strive we and make no dollars. We don't want people to be yes. hungry in a world that, in yes. a country that is that has as much money as we do. Yeah. Well, in this mindset of those that have or that have the privilege to turn away from the problem. Right. That was awareness to me. Right, right. And understanding what privilege is. Yes. So what is that? Because even saying this right now. That's a big word. Yeah, even saying this right now, people's hearts are beating. Uh Everyone's uncomfortable. I grew up poor. My parents worked. Privilege has nothing to do with your financial status, you know. Okay. Privilege is really about your status in the system. And so when I when we talk about privilege, there's certain privileges I have as an educated African-American woman. Um, there's certain privileges you have. So we all have some type of privilege. But when we start talking about, you know, racial privilege, you know, and historically, you know, there was never a point of time in this country where your parents couldn't live in any neighborhood that they wanted. That's not the case for my parents. You know, there's not a time when your parents couldn't go to any school that they wanted to go to. That's not the history with my dad. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like only one generation. You don't have to go too far back. Yeah, I'm just going to my dad. And then you you hear people say, well, just get over it. Yeah, That's your ancestors. What do you say to people that say say that? We don't say that. First of all, my dad is still alive, and so is my grandfather. Right. <laughs> but we don't say that about any other thing. No. If this was, if there was some trauma, if there were injustices that happened in your family mm. or to your husband, say for instance, if someone was abused, right? Wouldn't you want to know that before you got married? You know, you would want to know that because it's going to inform the person they are. We understand trauma as it relates to that generationally. You know, when we talk about racism as an oppressive. Um, system, there's trauma that it causes. And let's take every situation in the Bible. 
And when you read these situations, I want you to say, well, they just need to get over it. Like, I am connected. I am here because of the survival of someone else. The willingness to not give up. You know what I'm saying? And so to tell me to disconnect from that and not demand that everyone flourish. It's not just about me flourishing. I have to want everyone to flourish. If I'm a part of the kingdom of God, not the empire, because <laughs> empire and kingdom is totally different. Yeah. And some of us have the mindset of empire where we only care about America what belongs to us, you know, who's here. But the kingdom of God is present in every country on every continent. And so they are my brothers and sisters. So I care about what's going on in Australia, just like I care about what's going on in Syria. I care about what's going on in Mexico, just like I care about what's going on in Brazil. You know what I'm saying? It's like, first of all, God's kingdom is not racially segregated. And we talk about on earth as it is in heaven. Like we have to do those things to show the kingdom of God's presence now here on earth. As we are in heaven. And so that mindset is a totally different mindset, you know. And so I'm called to care about the people in Oaxaca, Mexico, and be concerned about their well-being. And go to Rwanda. Yes, and and Rwanda and all the things that I do. And Zona, your position is not, you're not going to be the one to do all the work because you trust, yes, you trust God to do that. But you're willing to pay attention. And to listen and to have empathy. Yes. And to want all to flourish. And so that has to be the answer. Like, you know, when we talk about, we can't say we want reconciliation, but the things and the life that we're living in, the conversations that we're having, it's about you yourself. Well, and what were your L's we were going to say? Oh, yeah. They're real cute. Yeah. So so one of the things as you're doing this work and as you want to learn more and you're you're like, where do I begin? Okay, I'm saying that you begin with self. Um, You begin with self and lead out from your own family. You know, start with your family first. You know, don't feel like you have to start someplace else <laughs> you know start with your family well and there's a lot of moms listening it's a mom yeah show. yeah so what would that look like yeah with start their kids? With, and let me tell you why you need to listen to us heather let me i'm just gonna be candid right now when we look at history that history get has receipts and gives an account right so when we look at history we look at any racial history throughout time and we look at history let's just talk about here in the u.s the issue of slavery the issue of genocide with um the natives we talk about the japanese internment camp the chinese um, exclusion act you know so when we think about that history there's always outliers and of course not everyone but we talk about majority of culture like our country had slavery for over 200 years 240 years and then another 100 years of um, jim crow so the freedom part of people of color, African-Americans, has only been the last 60 years or so, okay? If, if we can equate, say, freedom, okay, in this sense, okay? Yeah. So all of that, there were people that were saying this is not right. And first of all, we've had the same Holy Spirit. We've had the <laughs> same Bible. None of that has changed. No, right. And so when we think about this history, people of color have always said that slavery was wrong. They, from the day one, this is the 400th year of the slaves arriving in Jamestown, the colony of Jamestown. So it's in 2019. So we're, this is the 400th year yeah. memory. It's 1619. From day one, people have been fighting for liberation. And so when we think about that history, when we think about 
Reconstruction, we think about Jim Crow. There were always people protesting and fighting for freedom and for things to be just. So when you look at that, people of color have always been on the right side of history. Because now we look back and we can say, oh, slavery, the institution of slavery was wrong. We look back and see Jim Crow and all the things, the segregation and all, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson. Like you look at all the Supreme Court decisions that went down, Brown versus the Board of Education. I mean, there were school districts that closed down completely because they did not want to desegregate. We never went back and rectified. They closed down for like a year or two. Some school districts in Arkansas and Virginia and different ones. But the white kids that were in those districts, 93% of them were educated, but only 50% of the black kids. So that has a cycle effect, but we never went back and fixed that. None of that. Okay. So when we think about that, that history, we've always been on the right side as people of color. So it should tell us something now when there's a majority group, not the 5% that some people want to listen to that agrees with them, but I'm talking about the majority of the people, if they're saying, this is wrong, this is racist, <laughs> you may want to listen because history gives an account. And some of us, when we look back at segregationists that were, you know, at one point it was politically correct. But when we hear, read those words now, and when we see those on video, when we look at Bull Connor down in Alabama, we, when we hear that, at that time, there were people that, you know, thought that was right. Majority of people thought that was right. But when we hear it now, we're like disgusted by it. But there were always people saying that this isn't right. So listen. So we have to listen. So we and have to listen. Kids. Yes. And not to the people who think just like you, right. that act just like you, that look just like you. We have to listen and we have to model that for our children. So mm -hmm. I tell people to enter into this conversation with the posture of humility. Mm -hmm. You know, saying that you don't have all the answers and you don't know the way. And so listen. And I'm telling you, you can learn so much by listening. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about your journey, Heather. Just listening. What we did when we went to Oaxaca. I didn't have words. I was just listening. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know what to say, you know. I'm still learning, you know. I don't have all the answers. And so... Like listening you're, you're gonna hear something yeah. and it's gonna go up against what you've held right. to be true for so long right right you have to realize you're gonna be uncomfortable right right in exactly. the listening exactly it's gonna and be it's uncomfortable gonna be do you think i feel comfortable talking about this i don't i know that you're a nine right Is yeah right so you yeah. don't like conflict yeah no you know what i'm saying and my whole life this is now it's centered world. around conflict no. So like <laughs> it's gonna be distant. So it's gonna be difficult. and not to yes. shy away yes. because it's hard. I'm exactly. all about moms talking to their kids about everything. everything. I mean, we just had a show on porn proofing your kids. Yeah, and talking to them about sex and that's when hard. Little, that's, and that's hard, hard. conversations. But, but we got to do it. All the things. we got to talk about all the things, and this is a part of all the things if we want to create a different future and legacy for our kids. And I think that's what everyone wants the best for their kids. And so if we want to shift 
the future, we have to begin with this next generation. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important to listen, to learn, to educate yourself. Read some books. Follow some people on social media that you wouldn't typically follow. Look up hashtag 1619 Project. You know, follow the hashtag racial equity, racial reconciliation, racial solidarity, racial healing. You know, all these different things and learn some stuff. You know, pick up some history books, some real history books that's going to tell everyone's story not just I, one I side of the story list from you yeah i need a list from we you. have Is it on we, your site we have a list on our site and then also uh, we're going to have a resource um, that's connected to the book maybe what you can do is attach I'll this to the, i'll put it in the show notes yeah put it in the show notes um so i would say you know we have to educate ourselves on the history um the other thing is we have to lament we have to mourn we have to pray we have to have you know, seek the Lord for what to do. Um, And then the thing we have to do is we leverage. We leverage our privilege, you know. And like I said at the beginning, it's like, you know, we inherited a mess. We (laughs) didn't break it. Yeah. But it is our responsibility to fix it. Nehemiah didn't break it, Mm -hmm. but he went back and fixed that wall. You know what I'm saying? And they worked together. Exactly, exactly. You know, and you think about what Jesus did to reconcile us back to Mm -hmm. the Father. He could have given up. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So the model of collective justice and um, has been modeled for us, you know. And so I think that's the same thing that we have to repeat. And so, you know, I, listening, um, learning, um, lamenting and leveraging. I think those are some of the key things that we can do. And then making sure that your children are not isolated and insulated with things and people that are just like them. You know, we need to diversify our lives. That's not the only answer. It's not, it's sometimes the beginning step, but it's not. You have to do these other things along with that. But the materials that you buy your kids, look at your books that you read and make sure that they're diverse authors, like, you know, that you're reading stuff by a diverse group of people. Just like the same thing we want men to do. Like, we don't want men to read all books written by men, but they should read some books just written by women too, you know? And so, you know, and so we have to think about those things. And so the same thing with your kids, like, you know, look at their toys, you know, Um, diversify that. There's crayons, multicultural crayons, you know, Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do and start talking about different colors and different hues with your child in a positive way. Because if, if you're cueing them, you're cueing them. And so if the only thing they hear you say is negative things about a person of color or either by a white person, they're, they're cued to think like that. Mm. And we have to think about what are we cueing our kids to mm. think mm. about people who look different from them. When they watch you. Yeah, they watch you. They pick up your tone. They pick up your they posture. They watch how you treat yeah. anyone. Yeah. Of any exactly, and if you never have anyone of color around them, if right. they don't see them at church in their neighborhood, in their school, they will think negatively about it because it's different. Exactly, it's different. and it's but, dissonance that they feel. So we teach them words of beauty that describes people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some kids on the playground that they see. You know, they're saying describe the person like you look like poop. That's oh. dirty and disgusting. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, why would you describe someone like that? You know? So if we not talking about it, you also are cueing. So you have to, is kids see color. Yeah. It's a, unless they are colorblind. Yeah, you know? No. Unless they, yeah. Yeah. And we Who don't want to teach that. I had that. her on the show. She wrote a book. Yeah. Four we, Kids. And I had her on the show a couple years ago. Okay. I need a link to that too. Because yeah. it's a great book resource to talk about. 
you know, racial diversity. Um, but there's different things like introducing books and, you know, like my friend, she, you know, her little girl, she's in the sixth grade. And I think she was like, she's learning all this thing about history. And she was like, oh, mommy, like white people, we were bad. We're bad, <laughs> you know? And she said, but honey, you know, people did some awful things. But we have an opportunity to do some right things. And there were people that did right things. And let me tell you about some of those people right. that did the right thing. Right. And so do we want to be the people that made the wrong decision? Mm. Or do we want to be the people that made the good decision? And that's yeah. the, what you model with your kids. I you think know? that that releases people from this guilt of I can't look back. Yeah. Because it'll only bring up, oh, look at all the stuff yeah. we did wrong. Yeah. And people like to look forward. Yeah. But to to also point out this this wasn't handled well this was handled uh-huh. well in a same conversation yeah. is humanity yeah. i don't handle things well in a given exactly. day and i and exactly. i do handle something and it tells the kid oh that's like me too so i have this choice yeah in all of these interactions yeah. tasha you're amazing I know. <laughs> you know you're amazing. That's good. That's <laughs> no, good. I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, we're in. We, we, well, it's like <laughs> it's such a heavy topic, you yeah. know, and so you only could do so much. But I would tell people to uh, follow Be a Bridge Builder on Instagram and go to our website and get connected and at least start somewhere, you know. And I've had um, Kat Armstrong and Sharifa Stevens on the podcast. They've talked about their Be the okay. Bridge groups, and yeah. so these gals have heard. But maybe this is another push in that direction to yeah. find a brave space yes, to yes. have these because yes, your yeah. safe space might be different than mine. But yeah. a brave space. Yes, a brave space. Is willing to enter. Look at you. That's I learned so from great. you just a little That's bit. Great. A little bit. <laughs> thank you for letting me be in your house. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad that you came. I love it. In hot Atlanta right now. Hot Atlanta. <laughs> All right. It's so hot. All right. Adios. Okay, that book I couldn't remember. It's called Colorful by Darina Williamson. She came on the show, episode 216. We've linked to both in the show notes. Uh, It's a great tool for your younger kids to talk through uh, differences, and that's what she helps guide us in that podcast episode. Also, this week, Kid President came back. Do you remember him? He's adorable. His brother produces the show, and now he's older. And they are taking the show on the road, and they went to Selma, Alabama in their second episode. And it's fantastic. If you have children, um, older elementary, middle school, watch it with them. He interviews a woman who was 11 at the time of... um, protests in Selma and she walked the bridge there. And anyway, it just gives her perspective on her why. And it's just this uh, just heartbreaking and yet eye-opening. And I think it'll help your kids see um, what was happening just a few years ago. So if you want to go watch that, I put that in the show notes as well. Uh, I'm going to pray for us because this is important work and I don't want the enemy to get a foothold. Lord, I pray for whoever is listening to the show that they, I pray a spirit of unity and your ministry of reconciliation to dominate our conversations, that you are the one who is making things right. And we get the privilege of joining you in that. I pray for us to have our eyes open to opportunities to enter into spaces that are a little intimidating, but that you would give us the boldness that comes with the Holy Spirit to enter in those conversations, to quiet our mouths and open our ears and open our eyes so that we can listen and learn and see in a new way. 
not defensively, that you do not need defending, but that we could allow someone else's uh, perspective to influence the way we see now. I pray, God, ultimately for your kingdom of heaven to come here like Tasha talked about, that we could be a part of that instead of just building our own little empires, but that we could be a part of what you are doing for your church, your body that you want to be reunited with ultimately uh, when your son returns. In Jesus' name, amen. Tasha and I mentioned our trip to Oaxaca, and I wanted to let you know that that trip was documented by the group who sent us, and it is available October 15th through the site welcomingimmigrants.org. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Um, you, They have discussion guides for if you have a screening of it with a whole group or you want to watch it in episodes and have a discussion about each episode. Um, I wanted to make sure you knew about that. And we are working still to maybe do a screening here in Dallas. Um, stay tuned for those details. I put all this stuff in the email. If you don't get my emails, go to olaheather.com and you can sign up there. All right. Thanks y'all for listening. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.